Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to the On Poly Podcast. I'm Steve Pakin. And I'm John Michael McGrath. We're on every weekday during this 43rd Ontario election campaign. Today on the pod, think COVID's gone? Guess again. Two leaders test positive and have to rethink their campaign stops. The Liberal Stephen Del Duca does six events in one day as the campaign heads into the Victoria Day holiday weekend. The NDP puts a full court press on Brampton's five ridings. The Green Party gets a big endorsement from a big union, and we take a closer look at the riding of Perry Sound, Muskoka. It's Thursday, May 19th, 2022, day 16 of the campaign, so let's get to it. Well, JMM, if we ever needed reminding that as much as we wish it weren't so, I'm afraid COVID-19 is still a thing. Early this morning, Green Party leader Mike Schreiner announced he had tested positive for COVID. He was feeling fine. But then maybe an hour later, NDP leader Andrea Horvath made the same announcement, adding she too felt okay, but would stay in isolation for a few days. What is the immediate impact on the campaign from this unanticipated development? You know, uh, schedules for major political campaigns are drawn up uh, days in advance, uh, often not weeks in advance, but, you know, you, you, you do do like days of work uh, in terms of preparing an event, making sure that the spaces are available, making sure that it's easy to get the leader in and out very uh, efficiently. Uh, all of that prep work, um, you know, is, is now up in the air. Uh, both campaigns have to stop and replan the next several days. Uh, Horvath was planning to spend the day in Sault Ste. Marie and Thunder Bay, uh, both today and tomorrow. She was going to meet with Indigenous leaders in the North and had to cancel a, a photo opportunity in the Sioux. So, you know, it's it's never a great time to get COVID. Uh, this is in particular uh, not a great time for these leaders. Uh, you know, just two weeks to go in the campaign, you know, every event, every opportunity to get your face uh, in front of cameras is really important. Uh, the NDP say that they have uh, contingency plans for this. They released a statement that said, We have always had contingency plans for this campaign, knowing that COVID is still among us. So many people have had to make adjustments to their lives throughout this pandemic, and so will our campaign. We'll be able to pivot to Zoom events, as well as tapping into the strength of our amazing diverse candidate team. This morning, Andrea will be on Zoom instead of in person as we talk about good jobs that actually pay the bills in Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, Mike Schreiner, for his part, was going to do an event at 8.15 a.m. this morning in Guelph, followed by an event in nearby Wellington Halton Hills. He did the Wellington Halton Hills event virtually, uh, which, as we all know all too well, isn't quite the same as being there. It sure is not. And not being able to get to the Sioux is really troubling for the NDP. They lost that seat by just about 400 votes in 2018 to Cabinet Minister Ross Romano. They were really hoping to snag that seat. There are two seats in Thunder Bay. The NDP already had one of them in the last House, but the other one was held by the Liberals' Michael Gravel, uh, who'd had the seat since 1995, and he's not running again. And the NDP only lost that seat by 800 votes last time. So you know that they had high hopes about taking it away from the Liberals, uh, which theoretically is more possible now that the former sitting member isn't contesting it again. 
you know, I, I think we should be clear that uh, neither of the other two parties uh, are, well, I should say neither of the two leaders uh, have given any sign of, you know, licking their chops with glee at this news. Uh, Stephen Del Duca particularly said uh, this morning that he'd you know reached out to both uh, Horvath and Schreiner, left voicemail messages for them, uh, did not want to uh, make it sound like they were capitalizing on uh, you know an opportunity. That said, <laughs> the the political reality of this is that this is a break uh, for both uh, Doug Ford and Stephen Del Duca. Uh, the the Tories are. Uh, hoping to do very well in the North. They had three seats there in the last House. Uh, and this could be a, a lucky break for them in the sense that at the moment, uh, the NDP can't fight on that turf right now. Uh, Mike Schreiner was going to participate in a nurses rally in North York. Now he can't. His deputy leader, Diane Sachs, will go in his place. You know, the leaders debate really uh, is a moment in, you know, every campaign, but this one as well, where uh, voters start to engage more. They really turn on to the fact that, oh, hey, there's an election happening. And so you really want to be able to capitalize on the days after the uh, the, the leadership debate in order to, to maximize the impact of uh, however they did in the debates, just as voters are uh, really starting to pay more attention. Indeed. And momentum becomes really important at this stage of the campaign and going towards the finish line. And sometimes you get it by chance and sometimes you can create some yourself. And the Green Party had created a bit of momentum yesterday and they were hoping to follow up on that today with some events with Mike Schreiner. Can't do that now, of course. Yesterday, the Greens got a very important endorsement from the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. Uh, the teachers union decided to endorse Mike Schreiner in the riding of Guelph, which he won last time in 2018. And they're also endorsing Matt Richter in Perry Sound, Muskoka. This is the first time ever that the OSSTF has endorsed the Greens, or I guess I should say two Green candidates. And you were just up there. So why don't you fill in some blanks on this? Right. So I was up in Perry Sound, Muskoka earlier this week. Uh, I was sort of tailing the Greens as they are uh, trying to get Matt Richter elected as uh, maybe their second MPP. Uh, Perry Sound, Muskoka has been one of the writings that Schreiner has been talking about basically nonstop if you ask him what the party's prospects are this election. I mean, on the day the Ritz were issued, I'm looking at you, Pakin. Um, I'm glad you didn't say dropped. Yeah. On, on the day the writ period began, uh, I, I spoke with Mike Schreiner. He did a stop in Beaches East York in the riding I happened to live in and, uh, you know, asked him that question, like, what do you think is going to happen? And he, he was very big on Perry Sound, Muskoka. Um, Matt Richter has actually been running as a Green in that riding longer than Schreiner has been the Green leader. Uh, Matt Richter first ran in 2007. Uh, Mike Schreiner became leader in 2009. Uh, in the last two elections, uh, Richter has come in a, a respectable third, getting about 20% of the vote. Uh, he has consistently done much better than the party has province-wide. Uh, and now, in this election, uh, longtime uh, progressive conservative Norm Miller is uh, retiring, and the liberals are not on the ballot because of a, a 
let's call it a candidate implosion. <laughs> um, and Richter and the Greens think that they can make a real fight of it. Now, the progressive conservatives are running Bracebridge Mayor Graydon Smith, uh, who won re-election in his mayoral race in 2018 with 75% of the vote. And the riding has only ever been held by Tories, uh, including Ernie Eves, a former premier. So it is going to be a tough riding for the Greens to crack, even if things go well. Uh, and we should also note here, of course, that the NDP are running Aaron Horvath, uh, who is uh, not related to uh, the party leader. Uh, Horvath actually did get more votes than Richter last time. So we're going to just have to see uh, what happens. Yeah, we got two Horvaths running for the NDP, but the leader, Andrea Horvath, spells her last name H-O-R-W-A-T-H, whereas this candidate here spells it Horvath, H-O-R-V-A-T-H. We knew that our viewers, sorry, listeners, would want to know that because they can't see the spelling. Okay, talk to us about some of the issues that the Greens are running on in Perry Sound, Muskoka. So housing affordability is as big an issue in Muskoka as it is anywhere else in the province. Uh, Here's what Richter said about it when I asked him earlier this week. There are young families that can only afford a one-bedroom apartment, and the current rental rate monthly is in the ballpark of $1,600 up. And that's across our entire riding. And people even from the city and the GTA are coming up here thinking they're going to find a place to call home. And they are not able to afford our riding any longer. And the Greens also have done well in Perry Sound, Muskoka before, uh, you know, this most acute phase of the housing shortage in Ontario, in part because the region is so reliant on the tourism and hospitality sectors. You know, a lot of voters there see preserving the region's natural beauty as both an environmental and economic necessity. All this said, the Greens aren't that close to winning this. Richter still came third last time. The Tories have had a lock on the riding. You mentioned Ernie Eves. I'll go back earlier than that. Norm Miller, who's the former sitting member, his dad used to represent that riding back in the 1970s and 80s. Frank Miller, uh, the former Premier of Ontario, 19th Premier of Ontario. So it's a tall order still. It is, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've talked about Graydon Smith before. You know, I think it, it is fair to say he, he still remains heavily favored. Uh, but when I asked Richter about it, uh, here's what he had to say about uh, facing off against Smith in what he calls a, a really a, a two-candidate race now. And Graydon Smith, to his credit, has been a great mayor for the town of Bracebridge. This riding goes much larger than the town of Bracebridge, and his municipal background will serve him very well uh, as mayor of Bracebridge into the future. And provincial politics is a whole other gamut. Uh, Let's look at some legal news right now. The Supreme Court is going to hear Ontario's appeal to block the release of Premier Doug Ford's mandate letters which he sent to cabinet ministers nearly four years ago. Okay, we need some background to understand this story, but suffice to say, uh, some people want some information coming out and other people don't. (laughs) What's the story? So uh, premiers have traditionally issued uh, mandate letters to their ministers uh, as a way of, uh, you know, setting their expectations for what they want the government to accomplish. Uh, Kathleen Wynne broke with the previous precedent and actually uh, published her government's mandate letters, made them public, uh, you know, so that anybody, including, you know, nosy reporters, uh, could see what the government's clearly spelled out priorities were. Uh, In 2018, when the Progressive Conservatives won, uh, then Premier Ford opted not to uh, 
publish his mandate letters, and that decision was challenged by the CBC. Uh, the Information and Privacy Commissioner said that the government should release uh, the mandate letters. Two Ontario courts have now ruled that Ontario's freedom of information laws sh- uh, apply in such a way that the mandate letters should be released. Uh, but now the Supreme Court has agreed to hear the case, which means, first of all, that those letters will stay confidential for now and, and certainly until the end of uh, after the end of the election period. The legal controversy here is whether the mandate letters are covered by the general principle of cabinet confidentiality, uh, which courts have respected historically, or whether the Wynn government's change in practice means that those letters should now be made public. The Supreme Court's word will, of course, be final, but I'll note that this applies outside of Ontario too, or at least it could. Uh, The federal liberal government uh, has followed Wynne's lead and published its mandate letters. So if the Supreme Court decides that Ontario's letters must be made public, that could set a precedent for the national government as well. Uh, But I will, of course, remind our listeners once more that I am not a lawyer and we are best off waiting to see just what the nine justices in Ottawa actually decide. And actually, while the Supreme Court's word will be the final legal word on it, we do have to remember that if Doug Ford wins the election and if he comes back as premier and if he gets a decision that from the Supreme Court that he doesn't like, he can invoke the notwithstanding clause of the Constitution, set aside the decision and just say, I'm keeping this stuff secret anyway. I don't care what the Supreme Court said. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is also a possibility, I suppose. And, uh, you know, he has not been shy about Uh, reaching for the notwithstanding clause when he wanted to. (laughs) Speaking of the Progressive Conservative Party leader, he was on the hustings again today. I'm pleased to announce a real game changer for families here in Niagara. A re-elected PC government will say yes to building a new and expanded Garden City Skyway Bridge over the Welling Canal. Doug Ford announcing that the PCs would build a new and expanded Garden City Skyway Bridge to reduce gridlock and improve commute times for drivers. That's in the Niagara Peninsula, of course. Um, What do you think of that announcement, JMM? You know, this is obviously just part of the theme of the PC uh, campaign. Uh, You know, it was an interesting project when I saw it in the budget because uh, there are certainly, uh, you know, bridges and highways around the GTA that I have driven through and have been, you know, a congestion choke point. And fully stating that this just is my my personal experience and I could be wrong, but I've actually never hit a really bad snarl at that particular bridge. Um, but hey, uh, I, I don't live in Niagara region and it's entirely possible that uh, this is a, a vital project for the region. It's also possible that it's a, a, a boondoggle. Uh, you know, <laughs> we'll find out, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, Ford clearly pitching this as just the kind of example of a project that his party, if returned to government, will complete, uh, while he says the other parties would not. The NDP's leader was virtual today, but she made an announcement anyway about the issue of affordability. Everyday workers and need to be able to afford everyday life in our province. Right. So the theme that the NDP have uh, tackled today is, is uh, you know, making sure that wages keep up with expenses, uh, jobs where, you know, uh, you can actually pay the bills in their language. Uh, they are proposing to increase the minimum wage by $1 every year to reach $20 an hour by 2026. Uh, they want to immediately repeal Bill 124, uh, make it easier for workers to join a union. They want to implement universal mental health care, uh, bringing mental health care into O hip, uh, they say it would save families $200 per therapy or counseling visit. 
comprehensive dental care, saving uh, over $1,000 every year for a family of four, uh, more like $13,000 if two kids need braces. In, insert your Simpsons reference here for those who are old enough. Uh, they want to bring in comprehensive universal pharmacare, which uh, they say would save families $350 per year and more, of course, for those with uh, chronic illnesses that need to be addressed with prescription drugs. And uh, they want to mandate 10 permanent paid sick days for all workers, uh, so no one misses a day's pay when they're sick. Of course, this was a, a very uh, live issue during the pandemic. Okay, I'm going to make a terrible confession here. I think I've only seen The Simpsons maybe once or twice in my life. So what's the reference you made? Because I didn't get it. Uh, there was an episode where Homer Simpson was running to be the boss of his union. And uh, he uh, gets he's waiting in line. And the, the clip that keeps running through his brain is that his, his daughter, Lisa, needs braces. And it's like, <laughs> we'll give up our dental plan. Lisa needs braces. We'll give up our dental plan. Lisa needs braces. Dental plan. Lisa needs braces. Okay, I get it now. I hate to say, I, I, I'm a family guy guy, I'm afraid to say. I've seen lots of family guys, but Simpsons, I'm afraid not. Well, shall we go on and talk about the um, Liberals leader and what I mean, he was we doing just today? to making this a Simpsons podcast. Well, I was going to say, we could continue <laughs> to discuss the fact that I'm culturally out of touch on most things these days, but uh, maybe we should get to Stephen Del Duca and what he was doing in Mississauga this morning, and that was namely talking about gas prices. He blasted Doug Ford for failing to reduce gas prices and promised, if elected, he'd reduce gas prices by 5.7 cents per liter and the fuel tax by 5.3 cents per liter for a period of six months beginning July 1st. Now that's the announcement. Let's now get the story behind the story here. Go ahead, JMM, that's your job. You know, the, the promise to drop gas prices is, you know, let's, let's put it bluntly, it's an echo of what uh, Doug Ford has already promised and by Stephen Del Duca's own reckoning, promised and failed to deliver. So, you know, is it fair to accuse Ford of failing to lower gas prices when, I mean, I'm not an economist, but like, let's say, what, 50 cents of the current price per liter is just due to the war in Ukraine, which I'm going to just check my math here, but I don't believe that's an issue over which Doug Ford has any jurisdiction. Uh, yeah, it, it feels like a, a bit... Uh, a, a bit of a bridge too far uh, to blame Ford for that. Uh, and wow, a lot of bridge references on this podcast today. Indeed. Well, you know, <laughs> we're getting it done, too, on this podcast, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, one last thing. Um, John Michael, do you know the difference between a podium and a lectern? Uh, I mean, I thought I did, but uh, we have been informed that I was in error. <laughs> well, I was going to say, apparently both of us misuse these two words all the time because someone emailed us to say she does love the podcast, but she is a bit alarmed at how the two of us are such idiots that we mistakenly use these wrong words all the time. Now, here's what she said. A podium is a raised platform on which one stands to give a speech or receive an award, as in the Canadian Olympic slogan, own the podium. A lectern is a tall stand behind which a presenter gives a speech. The word podium derives from the Latin word for foot. One stands on a podium for improved visibility. For example, a band leader stands on a podium to conduct. The word lectern derives from the Latin verb legere, to read. Readers or speakers stand behind a lectern and rest their notes on its sloping surface. So there, now we know the difference. <laughs> now, uh, 
to our listeners, of course, you know, come on, where else are you going to learn the difference between a podium and a lectern and the Latin derivations as well? This is the kind of content you only get from your educational broadcaster, folks. That is absolutely right. I mean, we may not swear as much and drop as many F-bombs as uh, those guys on the uh, Curse of Politics, but we do know our Latin really well. (laughs) And that is the On Poly podcast for Day 16. A reminder, we're here every weekday through this 43rd general election campaign, right through to Election Day, June the 2nd. JMM, we'll see you on the hustings. See you tomorrow, Steve.